and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And Liam, this week we have a plan, right? Uh, I've not been filled in on this plan. Tell me. Don't worry, we have a plan. So, as people who have been following closely may be aware, we're being tormented, stalked, harassed by the electricity wizard Clancy Brown. Dun- oh yeah, Dunstan. Dunstan from Dunstan checks in, and um, a mix and match motley crew cavalcade of other animals, animal related things from various films because we've upset the animal gods. Go back and listen if you're not caught up. But we think that we've slowly but surely managed to sort of find our way and find our footing and remain safe. And what we thought this week is that so we've got safe computers. We've got safe places to record. They can't triangulate our position with electricity magic. And we thought, what if we just put on a whole new look for this podcast? And we've really only had a new look for this podcast one other time. And I believe we had a guest who classed up the joint a little bit. And we've briefed him on the situation. He is now here to help us. If you could please reintroduce yourself to everybody. Mitchell, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Again, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in our time of need. Uh, we really oh. needed a bit of that, a bit of that Ben Mank flair that you bring, and um, I think you're ready to bring that. So I'm gonna actually hand it over to you because if you intro the show and we're talking about a movie with a little bit more of that, you know, the je ne sais quoi, the class, the grit, the '70s edge, um, they might not be able to figure out that this is this very same podcast that talked about Airbud. Pet Cemetery, Speed 2, and then they shouldn't be able to find it. So, Mitch, actually, if you could tell us what we're watching this week. Oh, it would be a pleasure. So, we're watching French Connection 2 from 1975, directed by John Frankenheimer. John Frankenheimer is a director that I respect very much. He made a bunch of uh, exceptional films in the 60s and 70s. Well, really, throughout his entire career, he was an A list director. Uh, he made films like The Manchurian Candidate, uh, starring Frank Sinatra. He made uh, Grand Prix, which is like this three-hour race car epic of high-octane fun. He made uh, Seconds. Uh, Seven Days in May with our boy Bert. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Birdman of, of Alcatraz with Bert Lancaster again. They were longtime collaborators. Anyway, uh, French Connection 2 is a sequel of the 1971 film by Will, uh, none other than William Friedkin. Uh, William Friedkin. Who we've uh, talked about on the show. We watched The Exorcist oh, yeah. on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had impossibly good luck in the beginning of the 70s and, and talent. He was just like the whiz kid. Um, a lot of his films have a deep preoccupation with like, the notion of law enforcement and the lives of cops. Uh, to name a few titles, To Live and Die in L.A. from the 80s, uh, Cruising. Even The Exorcist has you know characters that are police. And the genesis of this preoccupation is very, very interesting. And I hope that you'll let me talk about it if you'll indulge me for a minute. It's a kind of a long story, a bit impertinent, but it's fascinating. We've got time. Cool. Liam, uh, do we have so time? We got all the time in the world. We're safe from the animal gods. Oh, I love it. I love being safe from the animal gods. You've protected us from our ills. And right, you can well, uh, indulge yourself in a story, please. Well, now I, I'm glad that I have protected you, but now I'm going to talk to you about maybe the worst protector of the peace well, one of them that there ever was, and that was William Friedkin's uncle, who was a famous police officer in gangland Chicago in the 1930s. 
Now, following the arrest of Al Capone, the mayor of, uh, of Chicago, Anton Cermak, he went by Tony Cermak. He was the mayor from 1931 to 1933. Anyway, he told Friedkin's uncle, who was a police officer, to kill Frank Nitti, who was Al Capone's number two man. He's actually a character in Brian De Palma's The Untouchables, but you know he's a guy that gets blasted off the roof in the end, but that is total fiction. Oh, okay. in, the, in the 30s, he ordered the murder of Frank Nitti, and Friedkin's uncle was going to do it, but it got leaked out to the press that this was going to happen. And... Uh, Friedkin's uncle was fired. The, the mayor still stayed the mayor because I think he, he ordered it through subterranean routes. But uh, in the 1933, FDR was in Chicago um, and Cermak was, was there uh, on like a podium with him and he was shot in the face by an assassin of Capone, of what was Capone's gang. Of course, Capone was in prison then. And so Friedkin's uncle had been recruited as his, as, as Cermak's bodyguard after uh, <laughs> after uh, he had been kicked off the force. So he was like the worst bodyguard of all time. Conflict of uh, interest, never heard yeah. of it. And so obviously, you know, your boss gets shot in the face, you lose your job. And uh, yeah, Friedkin's uh, uncle opened, opened a liquor store. And William Friedkin worked in this liquor store when he was a young man. And he met all these policemen and all these sort of crooked cops. And he learned to see the duality of law enforcement. And that was kind of expressed in a lot of his films, uh, the dark sides of law enforcement. He definitely channels it in the French connection, which is the original core content for this film. And it's a 1971 film. Now, uh, Friedkin, when he was in the editing room of this movie with Phil D'Antoni, he said, well, it's good, but I don't think it will win any awards. Uh, it proceeded to win five <laughs> Academy Awards. So many including awards including Best Picture, Best Actor for Gene Hackman, Best Director for William Friedkin, Best Writing uh, Screenplay based on, yeah, Best Screenplay, uh, Best Film Editing, and then it had like 11 nominations, or, or not 11 nominations, but it had a lot of nominations. But he should have been awarded a prison sentence because he kind of had like a similar disdain for the law as his uncle who was a policeman. Now he, when he shot The French Connection, it's almost like a mythology now, but he shot it on the streets of New York and the stunt driver was uh, the same stunt driver who drove for bullet in the sixties, which is another really famous car movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, Friedkin was like, what the fuck, man? Like you're not driving very well. Like show me something that's really good. And he's like, you want to see something good? Get in the car. So Friedkin got in the car with this guy and he proceeded to drive 90 miles an hour down 20 blocks of New York city. And they filmed the car chase for the French connection completely illegally. All the car accidents you see are real. They caused a real traffic jam on Brooklyn Bridge. Friedkin uh, used to go along with the actual cops that the story are based on, and uh, he held up bars in New York uh, that were suspected of trafficking drugs. And you know they gave William Friedkin the director of 38 to guard the back door. And so there's this fantastic mythology that surrounds the French Connection. And uh, then the sequel happened. And uh, that's where we are now. And I think that it maybe doesn't have that same preoccupation for policing, but we'll get into that. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about the previous film and, you know, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, that's Here fantastic. I also think quick to speak to that uh, best adapted screenplay Oscar, I, I discovered that it's written by the guy that wrote Shaft. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Like, that's such a great connection and for anybody who doesn't know it is based on a book also called the french connection by robin moore which is concerned with these two narcotics detectives in new york who had this huge bust 
So before we get into the films too much, I want to set us up a little bit. Mitch, you had seen The French Connection before, the original film. Oh, many, many times. Okay. Liam, you opted not to watch it, correct? That's right, yes. Okay, so what, if anything, aside from what Mitch just told us, did you know about the film going into the sequel? Nothing. I hadn't even heard the name before. It wasn't... uh... It wasn't a title that you guys were saying, and I thought, oh, I think that's a movie from the 70s that I've, I've heard of, but I've never seen, because there's a lot of those. But no, this one I hadn't heard of in the slightest, and so uh, to hear that it won Best Picture is, uh, you know, it just shows uh, that I'm so much more occupied with movies of the last couple decades, and uh, to hear the backstory that Mitch just gave us makes me so interested to check out the movie because uh, it, it all sounds super super cool and riveting and uh i i'm, I'm fairly certain i'm gonna go back and check this one out after seeing the sequel yeah oh, you should i mean it's it's uh it's a very famous movie not only it was the first r-rated movie to win best picture and it was also it's also i mean like every single breakfast restaurant in north america has a dish called the french connection that serves french toast i mean it's everywhere it's including good. but not limited to uh, Sunset Grill in Lansdowne in Ottawa, <laughs> where Mitch and I will go on occasion to enjoy a little bit of the French Connection. Yeah. Check them out. God, I tell you what, I've been dying to go to that place, and I haven't made it yet, so if I had just done that a bit before this podcast, that would have been my only uh, my only relationship with French Connection. Well, we're listen, not there yet. listeners, when we have our first inevitable podcast meetup, that's where it'll be, and you all have to order the same thing. But that's right. before we get too carried away with the uh, illusions of grandeur and French Connection breakfast meals, I want to give a quick sense of this first film, a bit of a plot rundown, a bit of a stylistic rundown to sort of situate us for where this um, sequel sort of takes us to. So we have Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider as our two leads. They're narcotics detectives, Jimmy Popeye Doyle and Buddy Cloudy Russo. And those are some killer fucking nicknames, boys. Good for you. But there's some really, um, they're sort of the pinnacle of the kind of detectives that get taken into the police chief's office and get the big speech of like, hand in your badge and gun. You're reckless and not playing by the rules. It's a really fucking grimy movie. And you get a really sort of street level in your face sense of this kind of 70s urban policing um, for all of its negatives and everything that sort of comes with it it opens almost as a christmas film because we have one of them in disguise as a santa and they're trying to shut down a front for trafficking drugs and um they chase down this guy who runs away and they're just in this gritty terrible industrial back alley and they just start like beating the shit out of the guy and it really sort of sets you up for what we're dealing with which is these two guys getting a tip-off about a guy played by Tony Lowe Bianco named Sal Boca, who has a French connection to get heroin into the city. That French connection is friend of the podcast, Fernando Ray, who we love dearly and would do anything for. He is playing Alan Charnier, who is the hookup in this sort of international drug deal. And we follow these detectives as they sort of insist upon tracking this case, getting down to the bottom of it. You get a lot of great sequences of tailing people, um, detective work, listening in the car chase is obviously a pinnacle. And it's interesting because it builds really quite slowly. 
and it starts very patiently i imagine like a lot of like a lot of police work must where you're trying to even just get the authorization to do something you're trying to figure out who's who you're trying to get the plan in place and then the french connection with that chase hits this fever pitch where everything just goes to 11 and it really just takes off but before that you spend a lot of time in this in this grit and this grime with these fairly unlikable people um roy scheider is cloudy is a bit more likable he seems like he's got maybe a bit more of a head in his shoulders but gene hackman's popeye really just sort of leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth he's got convictions that are admirable but we understand that he's uh gotten in a bit of trouble within the precinct he's accidentally killed a fellow police officer previously on another one of his hunches and he's just really kind of gruff and rough around the edges and kind of sleazy and it's hard to root for him but ultimately you want him to get this guy because charnier is so good at what he does and so hyper aware that he's being followed that he's a real fucking pompous piece of shit about it um you can think of like when he waves to him on the train and it's just like oh fuck you man yes but um yeah so it's very much of its time it's really got that feeling to it it's got a lot of uh it's got some weird language going on. There's a lot of calling some bad, some bad racism too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a pretty uncomfortable sequence where the two of them go shake down like, um, like a black bar and just really kind of rough people up a bit and have an informant who they pretend to beat up and then actually beat up as like a front. It's just, you, you get a sense that these are not good people, but they're trying to do a good thing. So you sort of wrestle with that as you're watching. Uh, may I build on that point for a moment? Please. Now, that, that bar that they actually shake down, in real life, Friedkin went along with like the two police officers that, that are actually based off, and he went on a raid that was like scene for scene just like that raid. And so he pretty much just like like reflected what actually happened like in that scene in his film. And the people who are acting in that scene are actually like un- were, were undercover policemen. Oh, okay. Um, they were like okay. narc cops, yeah. So like they knew how to act perfectly, and I think that scene really like spells out Popeye's character. Like he's the meanest son of a bitch on the force, and he like strikes fear into like into the meanest uh, criminals. And uh, yeah, just going going forward, it's really interesting to see how Popeye's character is like frightening, and then and how he's reflected in in the second one, which uh, I think is kind of a far cry from that. But we'll yeah, get well, to- there's a weird like we'll get to it, but it does it almost tries to like completely deconstruct his like masculine front in a way, and I don't know if it's <laughs> totally successful in that. But before I forget, I want to just say that the original French Connection, and by original I mean I guess the one that happened in reality, um, the detectives were Eddie Egan and Sonny Grosso. I figure we may as well do the people a favor in the end and let them know. <laughs> so, Liam, now that you've got a bit of a bit of a handle on that first movie, do you sort of see where the second one can pick up from that? Like, does does anything have any more clarity, or did you find that the second one was able to kind of stand on its own? Uh, you know, well, I could tell I was coming into um, a playground with ex- established characters in it already. You know. With uh, Popeye and Charnier, I could tell that those characters had been carried over because it, their rivalry had already been uh, built up so much and, and it wasn't set up at the beginning of this film. We just jumped right into it. And so um, beyond that, I'm, I'm not actually learning anything that uh, is making this movie more clear. If anything, you guys are just making me uh, 
want to podcast about the original movie to check it out and podcast because it sounds it sounds really cool and it sounds like it's uh it's coming from a very interesting place and i i didn't get a whole lot of that out of this movie yeah um friedkin's ambiguity sort of on law enforcement is palpable in the first one in a way that makes it complicated in an interesting way whereas i don't know how much of that's carried here but before we get too far into that i figure i will introduce the french connection to a little bit more it is directed as mitch told us by john frankenheimer written by alexander jacobs and robert and Lori dillon the story is by robert and Lori dillon cinematography by claude renoir who also shot barbarella and a movie called the lady in the car with glasses and a gun which i mention <laughs> only because that's an impeccable title that's awesome um it got remade in 2015 it's a french movie so if any maybe we'll do that someday uh, let's do it the cast as mentioned is gene hackman as popeye fernando ray as charnier bernard fresson who was also in that uh lady with the glasses and gun car or whatever film as uh henry Bartolome, which are my french is real bad so strap in everybody um and then we've got a supporting cast of a few other actors but really the principal cast is really small it's effectively those three and um we see popeye arrive in france he's been dispatched by the uh new york police i guess to um get to the bottom of this get charnier for real and he's got revenge on his mind and blood in his eyes like uh, he is there to kill that motherfucker and he will not listen to the rules and regulations of the french police of marseille that are standing in his way and um the film is interesting because it is a lot more personal and it's very specific to Popeye and how he gets a gets a taste for the other side of the coin in his recklessness to try to track down Charnier and also ignore the French police. He winds up getting kidnapped by those drug dealers and um, over like a three week torturous period hooked onto heroin, the heroin that they're selling. So he gets a feeling for what the people that he's shaking up are like. And you see him in a very vulnerable and pathetic kind of state, which is as Mitch was sort of getting at just the opposite of how he's typically um, shown to us. He's very macho, very brash, very um, like hyper masculine kind of guy. So you see him in a bit of a different light, but even then that sort of bravado from both of them, from Popeye and also the French police officer, Bartholomew is sort of getting in the way of their ability to like, meaningfully figure that out and then he's eventually rescued and they're they're sent back out to um get to the bottom of a sale that is going on that will ultimately get a bunch of drugs out of the hull of a dutch ship and into the hands of dealers who will then send it over to the united states so yeah, but it, it's sort of convoluted because like it comes from a japanese ship onto a dutch ship and but it's yeah. like it's like welded into the hull or something yeah, it's very it's, it, it's very difficult to, to follow, and I think that's definitely part of the weakness of the movie. Yeah, yeah the, I, it's also not clear if, like, I wasn't even clear if the Japanese ship was a different ship and they both had it or what. If it's um, the same ship and they changed the name. And yeah, what, it's not clear. Um, the racket runs real deep, so it's not clear what Charnier is setting up and what he's not. Um, before we get too into the, the nitty-gritty of it, I want to do what uh, we usually do here, which is I'm going to throw it over to... I think Liam first and then over to you, Mitch, just sort of a, a broad strokes. What did you think of French Connection 2? We'll start with Liam. Sure. Yeah. 
So uh, again, I, I didn't know anything about the first movie going in, and uh, I made the intentional choice to not watch it beforehand, because I very well could have. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It was easily accessible. But I thought, um, if this movie is as classic as I'm hearing from Mitch and Corey, then it'll be around. I can come back to it later. But if the both of them are going into The French Connection to having seen the original, then maybe it would be cool if I... Uh, decided to sit it out and just see how these characters in this story works all on its own, you know, kind of like uh, the kids who had never seen Toy Story 1 to 3, but went in and saw 4 uh, a decade later when it came out. So I checked or this me one out with and... half of the movies we do on this show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I'm uh, and uh, I found that the movie didn't really work for me. I thought it was uh, plotting. I thought it was convoluted, like Mitch said. Um, I thought it was kind of obnoxious at times, um, and there were there were brief moments of charm to it. Uh, Gene Hackman's performance um, sparks off on a few occasions, but there were even times when he wasn't doing it for me, and uh, the movie was kind of just droning on and on. There were all these subplots happening, and uh, you know, I don't think that being familiar with the characters in the first movie would make me enjoy all these. Uh, all these really long subplots unless I was just like a huge super fan and I'm just dying to see more of these guys. But really um, I felt that this was kind of like an epilogue to a main story in the same way that toy story four was where it's like these characters worked in a really focused story once already. And so we've decided a little while later that we're going to try it again and we're going to put some stuff together and see how it works out. And, um, it wasn't super satisfying for me. Um, I didn't think it was a particularly incompetent movie or anything like that, but I did think that it it felt unnecessary despite not having seen the original. Um, you know, whereas a sequel like 2010, uh, a sequel to 2001: A Space Odyssey, feels like it it has something different to say thematically that is building on the points of the original film. This movie didn't seem to have a theme all on its own and um it, it felt just like a kind of like a, a detective police story that i didn't think was particularly focused because it was already building off characters that have been established already um and so there wasn't actually a lot of work done in this movie to make me care about these characters. There wasn't a uh, really focused plot to make me invested in what they're doing, um, despite not knowing the characters already. You know, I've seen uh, the latest Mission Impossible movie, and while I hadn't seen any of the prior films to make me know who Tom Cruise is, the set pieces, and... Uh, and the focus on the bad guy um, the entire time make that movie kind of fun, but but I didn't get that from this one. So I I was a bit uh, underwhelmed with this film, but it doesn't make me want to check out the original any less, especially after hearing what you guys have to say. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a reasonable assessment. Before I throw it to Mitch, I just want to say that I thought it was funny that um, you mentioned 2010. Um, People should go listen to our episode on that. But Roy Scheider is also in that movie. Um, and I guess that when he had the luck of the draw, when he knew he had to do a legacy sequel like that, he opted out of The French Connection 2 and went into 2010 instead. But um, Yeah, look at that. Yeah, so uh, Mitch, what did you think of The French Connection 2? Or should I say French Connection 2? Because uh, as we've established, John Frankenheimer hates articles. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I really wanted to like French Connection too. You, when I discovered that it was directed by John Frankenheimer, that I really wanted to love this movie. Um, he knows his way around a car movie. Grand Prix is an exceptional film. And Frankenheimer filming on location and very good at filming films set in Europe. And um, so I was excited when I, to learn that it went to Marseille. Marseille looks so ugly. It's such a gray city and the locations all look like dungeons. I mean, half of the film is set in it. Being trapped in a dungeon with Popeye really isn't good because his character, I just, I wrote in my notes, like, I do not enjoy spending this much time with I need that Roy Scheider character to kind of diffuse, and I don't think that the French cop is nearly as interesting uh, for doing that. And uh, what else do I not, I don't think works? No uh, car chase. Yeah, there's no car chase. That's another thing that I was just absolutely outraged. makes a film, and there's no car chase. The French Connection, no less. There's just some lame foot chases through the city of Marseille. But I really, I, I really like this film was a slog, and it felt long. And then I kept asking myself, you know, does this film stand up as an action film? Like, not even like, and I didn't even really enjoy the action set pieces that much. I mean, it has moments that are kind of cool, but like the the grand shootout, and I don't think is is that great on the dry dock. And uh, I feel like the ending is just total bullshit. Uh, I, the final. I actually, I I loved it for how fucking audacious it was but it doesn't it's not that satisfying at all yeah it's kind of a john frankenheimer and he is an interesting director but he is an ill-disciplined director um he goes all over the place with how he makes his films his films are always a bit too long i find grand prix is a fine example of his ill discipline at work yeah you just have to ask like why is this scene here? What is this scene doing? And there's so many scenes like that, like Popeye talking about the the Yankees for all this time, and I, it just doesn't it doesn't do it for me. There's so many ridiculous, superfluous scenes that that serve absolutely no purpose that extend the film way longer. Popeye is not a fun character to be with, so yeah, that's just like a few of my problems with it. But I'm sure we'll come into it more. I saw this film with my parents wow, this movie sucks, and she left. And my dad just kept on commenting on how ugly the movie was. And uh, we lost all my family at, at Lake. Um, yeah, really quick, I just want to say as a note to um, all the people concerned for our well-being in various cases referencing the animal gods, you may hear a little bit of Clancy Brown's electricity wizard fuckery happening on some of the some of the audio files here rest assured that we have our finest uh, our finest folks on the case and uh, we will mitigate that as much as possible um but to get back to the french connection too uh boys we're all in agreement because this movie is a fucking drag the thing that i sort of got hung up on and it's something that liam is talking about in terms of the toy story 4 kind of vibe that you get which really you would only get if you were like us and had seen that movie recently but um what I couldn't let go of is, so this is a movie where, so the original idea is spent already. Um, that original investigation, getting to know the characters, being in New York specifically, that whole setup is spent. But they want to continue having that character around, um, so Popeye is basically Woody here. And what happens is, so Popeye is kept as this 
main protagonist who is put in new circumstances with a new set of supporting characters and you're supposed to be really invested on a personal level in Popeye similar to how Toy Story 4 operates as a vehicle specifically about Woody and his own fucking personal problems and the problem is that it doesn't click because like we're saying um Popeye is super fucking unlikable and it's one of those things where it's not like you can't have sympathy for him but long stretches of the middle and second third of the movie are spent with him sort of sulking in agony and moping and feeling sorry for himself and he's been put through the ringer he's been put through hell it's been terrible to him but it's one of those things where because he himself is such an asshole um even at this low moment um which i guess can partially be excused by the drug abusing but even then not entirely um it's really hard to spend so much time with him because mm-hmm. he is still so much that character and you're right where we just don't have Shider to ground him and keep things balanced and we also don't really have charnier to ground him and give him something meaningful to point his convictions at because charnier is barely in this movie which is a huge fucking letdown i would have loved to see way more fernando ray than we got so you spend a lot of time with popeye by himself or popeye defying the french authorities um who seemed to really sort of loathe his reputation and his presence but then ultimately keep giving him chances for unclear reasons and then Popeye gets his own personal revenge and the movie literally cuts to credits the second that happens um it is a movie that I do think is slow I think it's got its priorities in the wrong place I think that you can't even have sympathy for Popeye in like the cultural misunderstanding angle of the fish out of water he doesn't speak french thing because those scenes are so long and he's making so little an effort to be accommodating yeah. as the and person he makes a complete fool of himself constantly so it's really difficult and it is very just grimy and dingy and fucking yeah i i i would be very curious for liam to go back and watch the french connection and then see how that cast this movie in a different light and if it even would um because I think that we all agree there's a spark to the French connection too that just sort of isn't there that you really need to sort of ignite your interest. And um, it does spend a lot of time uh, poorly. I think things like the baseball thing that you're talking about, I can picture what they're doing, which is they're sort of trying to f- sketch out that backstory, give Popeye a more third dimensional kind of perspective give pathos and like a sense of catharsis when he finally gets what he's getting because um he's been going through so much and has like lived a life and whatever but it just doesn't feel earned and even in those really long prolonged moments of emotional vulnerability he never loses his fucking edge so it's really difficult for it to be palatable um i think another i think another thing if i if yeah, I may, yeah yeah please uh build on that i think how the two films are so tonally different. The original one has such a reverence for the procedure of police and police work, whereas this sends into pantomime. Um, like the, the set pieces are all sort of implausible, and, and whereas the original one I think is very much tied to realism. I believe that this is New York in the 70s, or, but it's like, what, what is this or set piece? And like, or what is this part where Popeye? burns down a fucking drug den with a with, with a no consequences 
it's it's with no consequences. It's it's just everything about this movie is completely implausible. Why did they send an American that doesn't speak a lick of who they Marseille? already don't trust, whose investigation barely worked, who didn't yeah. get the main guy, who has a reputation? Why would they send him? Only well, the excuse, uh, flimsy reasoning. It's because they say that he knows what he looks like, but that's a terrible he, reason. Even then, like it's it's just very flimsy and very implausible, and all the realism and the firm logic of of policing is is just not in. The, and uh, it's just a, a really big disappointment for me. Yeah, uh, I think. I, I can see sort of what the goal was if they really wanted to hone in on Popeye here. And I think Hackman's performance is generally in line with the first movie. Like It's weaker. It's weaker, but I think it's because he has weaker material. And For sure. I think you certainly feel it when they sort of take this uh, mas- like hyper-masculine hard-ass and put him writhing on the floor through like heroin withdrawals. And you feel sympathy and vulnerability, but everything is bolstered with this gruffness and this like how he somehow maintains this I-don't-give-a-shit attitude and um, this hyper-focus on Charnier just borders on like not, it, not making any sense at all. Like his priorities seem so out of whack that even at his weakest... Um, moments you can't really buy in in the same way i think i thought a lot about the conversation after watching this movie Um, interesting i think because a lot of what you get from hackman in that you you get worse here and not just like hey we get to watch gene hackman tear a room apart again but um something about it being voyeuristic trying to follow and find a guy procedural um listening in very isolated kind of thing felt mm-hmm. reminiscent of the conversation and it's also uh at times shot similarly but it never meets the heights of either that hackman performance or the french connection as a predecessor really right and i think it could have like the material I, there's no doubt that i think having uh popeye in marseille could be interesting even though it's totally impossible but it was not handled well Mm-mm. Um, which is a shame because Frankenheimer, I guess, is like a hit and hit or miss director. Yeah, time to time, his ups and downs. Um, so, so Liam, what um, while you were watching the movie, did anything jump out at you? Whether it's in terms of uh, performances or how the movie shot or edited or anything that sort of stuck out as a primary reason for it not working, or maybe something that did work, or what were those sort of main things that that jumped out? Well, uh, most of the stuff in this movie, man, it really worried me. Um, so, like, the the sequence about a little after an hour in or so, um, where we just get, like, ten minutes of Gene Hackman, like, really acting in the dungeon setting, where he's just, he's screaming, and um, it just, it, it lingers on him. It's, it's like a long take, and we're there for, like, ten minutes just watching him act. Um, I just thought, oh, man, this is, like, it's so drawn out. It's so obnoxious. I know that this is a famous actor, but he just keeps going. I'm not very invested in uh, all the storylines they've established up until this point. Um, you know, the heroin withdrawals and the the uh, fish out of water stuff that I, I, I have no reason to, to feel excited that this guy is, uh, you know, finally letting it all out. And then in the climax of the movie with the 
the really prolonged gunfight and there's very little music happening <laughs> and um the the action doesn't feel choreographed all that well to me like it's not very exciting it's just kind of it feels like stuntmen yeah. running into the screen and then a- running and spatially it. ambiguous like you don't know where anybody is in relation yeah to- yeah yeah and i'm it's pretty dog- sure the gunfire sounds a loop yeah yeah that wouldn't surprise me man. Like, and so and and i thought the the setting like you guys have said it just it feels gross but like unintentionally gross you know the idea of new york in the 70s uh fascinates me i love movies set um in new york before it sort of got really commodified um and that that sounds really cool but this movie it is very gray and dirty but it doesn't it doesn't have a personality at all. It feels like it could be uh, it could be any unremarkable city that it just isn't all that well kept up. And um, so the whole movie, it doesn't feel that focused to me. And the reason I say that worried me is because um, I was I was worried I would come into this show and you guys would really like this movie, and then I would have to say oh man, what is it with me that I'm just not into this, you know? Um, I don't watch a whole lot of movies from pre-1980s, so I'm just thinking maybe movies just weren't for me before the 80s, you know? The style was just too different, these long takes and uh, um, this style of acting where it's all in camera and um, stuff is just like a lot more subdued but then a lot more boisterous in some places and i I was just worried that i i was i wasn't gonna get it and this was gonna be me realizing that and then i was worried that that would that would extend to me and that i'm not gonna like the french connection because if this movie was good um and i'm not really into what this movie is serving me and if the french connection is good in a similar way then i might not be that into it but um it's kind of validating to hear that you guys didn't like this movie i'm I'm sorry you didn't like it but uh that means that there's still um excitement out there in the original french connection and it also means that uh there's plenty of movies from the 70s that i still might like uh that you guys can show me because maybe our tastes aren't all that different after all you know because uh this movie it didn't really do it you know yeah i was pretty aware that this didn't seem like the kind of movie liam you would necessarily gravitate toward and i kind of kept that in mind coming into this discussion of being prepared for you to be like potentially even say like oh i thought it was fine but it's just not my thing and not necessarily weighing in a lot but it is kind of nice to know that um these flaws transcend interest like it's a movie that has very specific problems and um, that they're prevalent enough to not be glossed over just with sort of a hand and saying, eh, this just isn't for me. Because for everything that I think is interesting, I think this movie still knows how to do an interesting foot chase. Uh, The French Connection 1 has exceptional foot chases. Um, I think there's a lot to gain, or rather there's a lot of interest in sort of trying to have Hackman track down fernando ray and he's like changing buses and getting on a fucking boat and they're like running through the streets in the crowd but ultimately it ends up feeling derivative of itself in a way that makes you sort of lose interest again and Mm -hmm. there's so much time spent with them here's gene hackman being an asshole to a french guy who got arrested here's gene hackman being an asshole hitting on women in a bar that don't speak english Here's Gene Hackman being an asshole, bringing a gun into a country he's not supposed to have a gun in. 
Here's yeah. Gene Hackman being an asshole harassing a police informant. Here's Gene yeah. Hackman being an asshole while going through drug withdrawals because he's not getting the food he asked for down to the brand name of chocolate bar. And it's just like, fuck, dude. No one cares. Like, and I think a lot of it that's also really frustrating is the mechanics of the police procedure, like how difficult it is to follow and how there are a couple of characters that are introduced to happen without explanation. Like, for example, that informant that he roughs up somehow winds up dead in the street. With I, no explanation. I still don't know how that person died. Um, they imply could, that he did it somehow, that like Hackman did it. But how? 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 Yeah. And... Uh, what else? There's that there's that guy with the military uniform, foreign currency for a while, and then says he's off to meet the Minister of Defense. So there's like this global oh, implication yeah. that's introduced and then totally th- and there's guys meeting on a ferry periodically ex- exchanging bags that yeah. are not not explained. Those are those are I think one of them's drugs, one of them's money. But that's just not explained. It's not explained. Uh, I think it's implied only because at the end, if it was ambiguous previously, that Dutch ship captain is one of the people on the ferry, and then Fernando yeah. Ray's right hand man is there. So I think you figure it out if you hadn't previously. But I still get being like, because they do it at the very beginning of the movie before you've seen anything and you don't mm-hmm. know who this fucking guy is, and you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Like you can tell it's a trade off, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, and. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of things I don't like, but there are some things that I actually do like. Please, uh, I wrote in my notes the cool, like the and it's one thing that I that I like about the original too is like the 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 duality between Popeye Fernando Ray's character is very very interesting, and I love the sequence in the foot chase with how they juxtapose their physicality. I just love watching him run because I feel like he has the silliest run on earth, and I think that. And the ending of the French Connection is also similarly great, but with the two characters, like here's just like this hard-nosed cop that is totally out of his element and like this master thief. And I think that the juxtaposition there, if it were played up, could have been more interesting. Uh, and the juxtaposition works a lot better in the original French Connection, like when Roy Scheider and having uh, pizza while Fernando Ray is having fine dining. Yeah, and they yeah. they do do like a bit of that to this, but it's not to the same. Fernando Ray is just effective. presence so much less. His presence is strong. Like when he's on the screen, he is great. He's Fernando Ray. Yeah, we love Fernando Ray. If anybody here hasn't just indulged in that man's entire filmography, you've wasted your life up to this point. But yeah, the, I find the patron that, saint that this podcast, the patron saint of this podcast, everybody go watch the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Um, it's on Crazy Green Vir- Channel. Viridiana. Viridiana. Um, oh, what's that other one? That obscure uh, object of desire. Yeah, that's the one. There we go. Um, okay. Yeah, there's something strange though, just because I feel like there was a potential to play up that uh, juxtaposition so much more. Yeah. And we barely get Fernando Ray, and yeah. I don't mm-hmm. understand why. If you're gonna isolate Popeye, you could have also isolated Ray maybe put him in also heightened circumstances and juxtapose how the two men are reacting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think 
I think Fernando Ray is a really uh, charming dude, and so he is certainly felt when he's on screen, but the problem with the way the entire film is constructed is that he's not felt at all when he is literally not on screen, and Mm -hmm. a big bad villain shouldn't feel that way, you know, the stakes should permeate all of the protagonist's actions, and whenever he wasn't on screen, I kind of forgot that he was the bad guy of the movie is you know these all these subplots don't help but it sort of feels like he's um a big bad bil- villain from the first movie doing like a guest spot in this movie and he's yeah. not actually in it because like they, they couldn't get him the entire time or something and so they had to dick around with these with these other subplots yeah no he's he's actually absent from a lot of the first film and interestingly enough he couldn't speak english at the time or very little english so like his his presence is not really heard it's it's seen and it's this this tremendous communication to portray fernando ray's presence and yeah it's, it's just it's that is not here in this film because he's hardly in the first very yeah, big he's role he's hardly in the but first he's, one he's he's more felt he's like the scenes that he's in are, are all just so and he's like, got menacing character. and cal- and calculated yeah yeah he's he's just like a like a like a cartoon villain like back into my evil yeah but he's also it proves it proves his worth as an antagonist though because it's like he knows he's being tracked and he's trying not to tip them off but he's like a cunning motherfucker so you get a lot of a really great back and forth between who's gonna have the upper hand in this interaction between popeye and charnier and like i think we were talking about earlier maybe before we started recording but um that sequence in the subway where uh mm. he's trying to tail him but he know charnier knows he's being tailed so they get on and off the train and uh popeye gets bamboozled and he just does this really fucking pompous shitty like finger wave um oh yeah that's just so so perfect um i think the french connection 2 tries to pick up a lot of cues from the original film not always as successfully i think another big thing um not just pace i think the French Connection starts slow and then ramps up. I feel like this movie never ramps up to anything ultimately. And perhaps that was part of the point. Maybe um, his getting his revenge is meant to feel hollow, but I don't think that was on purpose. I think uh, it's also lacking in the presentation and the cinematography. It's got similar quirks. There's a lot of sort of handheld. There's a lot of zooms and pans that sort of emphasize the scope and the difficulty of the procedure of trying to find a specific individual in a big place that emphasizes the scale of like here's the stairs or here's a crowd or you're panning through sort of watching voyeuristically but it never feels like it hits the same level yeah i feel like that's a lot of the problems is it never hits the same level as the other movie well, I mean, it, it, it's such a hard level to hit. The original one is just such a muscular, like high octane film yeah. that that stinks and steams. It's just turned up to eleven percent, and I think that that's, that's almost an impossible act. Um, and I would be fine if it was just a like a sophisticated drama, essentially uh, drama set in a in a very in Marseille. I, I would be fine if they did that, but I just think it's just so clumsily handled. Yeah. yeah, I think another thing that's interesting is how this film deals with the iconography of, you know, air quotes, the franchise, because, for example, like the meat in Poughkeepsie sort of stuff. I don't it's, know why they brought that back, because it's just like, yeah. it's just to emphasize the fish out of water thing again, which we already yeah. know. But of course, this wouldn't course make this any, sense, make in any France. sense in France. Yeah, and it, it's the original, I think it was played for laugh and for shock, but because just again pantomime and and it's and it really just kind of makes 
Gene Hackman's character look ridiculous, like a clown. It, it hollows uh, him out because I think he um, has depth in the first one that he doesn't have anymore, even though they're trying harder to give him depth. Yeah, they're trying really hard for it, but they're not getting it. Yeah, so, yeah, so Liam, did you have any big thoughts in terms of uh, the way it's shot or maybe things in the edit, things in the music, anything like that? Well, I thought the music was um, no- notably absent for the most part. You know, Corey, I've told you before that uh, I have this instinct where if I'm able to uh, take note of the music in a movie, then that kind of, that kind of takes me out of it because I like the music to just be a really comfortable backdrop. And if I don't think about it, it's doing well. And I noticed the lack of music in a lot of these sequences, uh, particularly the extended gunfight near the end. And um, while that is a interesting creative choice in other movies, you know, um, action sequences or horror sequences that don't use the, uh, the sort of conditioning of music in order to make the audience feel something and instead rely on the way it's blocked or rely on the actors' uh, performances in their face um, in order to convey action and emotion. I think that's really interesting and it can really work. But here, I wasn't getting it. Um, and it was a, it was a creative choice that felt unintentional to me it felt like they couldn't find music that fit and so they they didn't have music in it because there's certainly not enough going on just in what we're seeing on screen in order to make that gunfight um exciting and throughout the rest of the movie um the cinematography is just really flat um i didn't think that we saw much of anything that was interesting and when we did see something that looked cool like the on foot chase it's kind of shot in the most plain way possible it's it's like how i would shoot um short films i made in high school where it's just you need to convey the action and so you're going to do that in the most um like logical way you can think of the easiest way you can think of and so yeah Everything here just it it really didn't stand out to me. And while choices like that can be very deliberate and confident, because uh, it's just when something like that happens, there needs to be uh, elements on the screen that give reason for other elements to not be used the way you're used to seeing them used. And so. Mm-hmm not having interesting camera angles and not having interesting music can be a plus if there's something else going on. But here I just, I didn't feel like there was much of anything. And so the movie ended up just feeling very flat and all these choices that could be interesting felt, uh, uninspired you know we feel it right up into the last moment with the ending i think abrupt endings are super cool and i love when the credits hit and you just have to think about yo what did i what did i just see what happened here um i need to think about and really digest because the movie isn't giving me a chance to do it within the narrative i think that's really cool but at the end of this movie it kind of played like a joke to me like he did what he came to do and then uh we've made this movie so that we can see our main character from the first movie uh, tie up the loose ends from that first movie and uh, now the the story is closed and so the movie's over we don't have anything else to wrestle with because there was actually nothing thematically happening there was no exploration of Popeye's character he did exactly what he needed to do and now we're done you know or law enforcement 
um, which yeah. is such a big thing yeah. in the first movie yeah. because it's just like he just sort of flaunts the authority of the French police and then kills hit the Charnier. And it's like, yeah. okay. And uh, like just to build on your point about the formalism being mm-hmm. sort of the point of view shots work either in the chase. Did you Those say are, you, you thought they worked or they didn't? You cut out. They do not work. I like them. I don't think it. I don't think the point of view stuff really works. I think there is maybe a brief second that it does work, and that's when like they're switching streetcars near the end. And I think that's also connected to the original film with the streetcar, yeah, uh, crisscross, uh, or the subway crisscross. Um, but I don't comes in at random moments, and I think I know is what it he's because it's to... sixteen millimeter too that it's just so jarring. Yes, yeah, and I know like... that that's the point. It's supposed to be jarring. He's like this delirious heroine strung out sprint chasing after the man that he's been trying to catch for a long time but uh, i don't know it does, doesn't do anything for me i just thought it was cool mostly from an aesthetic perspective um which is maybe a hollow reason to like something i'll admit that it doesn't necessarily resonate on that thematic level um but it was so unexpected that i couldn't help but be kind of hooked and it was interesting to see um a first person action sequence at points where he's like climbing over fences and like running. Um, it feels really kinetic, however brief it is. And it's uh, something that you get flashes of in other movies, but I thought it was interesting. But I think mm-hmm. despite this audacious ending, what we end up with kind of is a movie that it almost feels less like a sequel. And it feels like a, a director or a group of writers saw the French connection and wanted to make a movie like the French connection and just didn't do it right. But it's a, but in reality, it's a sequel. Does that make sense where it almost feels more appropriate to think of this as like a failed attempt at mimicking it. Than I don't it know. I, I think of it as just like any other action film. It's just, I, it's just I, I don't a think it has not great cop French, movie. Like the French. Yeah. I don't think it has anything that the original French connection had for characters. Um, I think the themes are, are are a joke compared to the original. I mean, the um, I think it's just like a, any old 70s cop movie that isn't so great. Originally in my notes, I wrote down like the aesthetics of Jean-Pierre Melville because it, it does have a... It's Melville, got that sensibility to it. That but... sort of like French gangster film. It has like shades of it. But I think that that would be doing... To say that completely Melville's filmography a great disservice because he's such an interesting director. Yeah, everybody, yeah, go, everybody watch go watch Le Samurai instead of this movie. Le Cercle Rouge. Yeah. Of shadows. Um, yeah. Honestly, ultimately, I think I'm just disappointed that I don't think there's not even much you can say about The French Connection to. Like, this is, this is it. We've done it. We've accomplished... It it needs no introduction. Truly, this no is a movie that needs no introduction. No conclusion. <laughs> well, Liam, you know what? Yeah. You can't say it wasn't a movie. You got a point there, Corey. I do. And that I, I was trying that on as a as a kicker for the show for a while, and then I forgot I was doing that, but we're bringing it back. <laughs> okay. it's, it still works. Well, some of the best ideas, you need to leave them alone, get an objective perspective, and then come back and see how they are once you're changed. And I'll tell you, Corey, I've changed since you last did it. It still sounded great. Someone, someone should have uh, left the cut of this movie alone for a while and then revisited it and seen if it was good or not. Maybe they would have realized that they've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Should we have our closing remarks? Is there anything else to say? Um, if you guys don't have anything sticking out that's really a thorn in your side that you want to make sure the people know about French Connection 2, I'm content for closing remarks, absolutely. 
What do you think, fellas? I'm set for closing remarks now. Other specific points. I want to mention only that when he's talking about Mickey Mantle and the Yankees and whatever, uh, there's a fun exchange where he's trying to talk about baseball and being a southpaw, like throwing with your left hand. And yeah. there's the line where he's like, he, like Hackman's trying to explain that like, he was a lefty. And then the cop is like, you mean a communist? And he goes, no, he was a Republican, <laughs> but he threw with his left hand. Like, And I thought that That's was cute. One. It was cute, but like... I don't know. It's not enough to hold up your uh, dungeon heroin withdrawal sequence. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes in it that I had fun with. Like a lot of little, like the part where he's drunkenly singing with the bartender. I was laughing and, and enjoying that because yeah. I was like, "That's there's something I would do." Of things, but it never, it never coalesces. So yeah, Mitch, if you want to hit with with some closing statements. Yeah, I think if you're like, if you just saw the original French Connection, and then you're like, if you want more of what the French Connection had, watch To Live and Die in L.A. It's directed by William Friedkin. It's from the, I think it has uh, the second, yeah, the second greatest car chase of all time. Maybe it's one of the greatest 80s action films. It stars Willem Dafoe, uh, a polished villain. I would say go for that movie rather than this, or hell, go for Sorcerer, or go for any other film in Friedkin's catalog, I think, would be much better handled because he knows a thing or two about car chases and police movies, and I think that this movie is just not worth anyone's time, some kind of completionist, or you have a podcast like this. Yeah. Yeah. Liam and I have been in this boat before where we're watching something out of podcast obligation, but scarcely do we think that somebody should seek it out in their own. I agree with everything that you've said. I would also, again, throw Melville out there if people are looking for movies of this kind of sensibility that are just better. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, really, it just doesn't coalesce in the way The French Connection does. And um, the personal attachment to the protagonist is so flimsy that it's hard to get that emotional attachment in the same way. Um, Liam, what about you in terms of closing remarks? Yeah, you know, I love that you guys are giving out other recommendations if you loved The French Connection because this really does feel like uh, some people saw The French Connection and really loved it and liked those characters and thought that they could do it as well, you know, and they, they, they liked the characters so they wanted to use them, but they just they didn't know how to use them. And so uh, for that reason, I can understand people checking this out if they love the French Connection. Uh, You know, the curiosity is there. You know, Mitch, you had seen the French Connection over and over. And this was your suggestion because uh, a French Connection to it sounds cool. And it uh, it has some of the same characters you love from the first movie. So I get it if if people want to check it out from that point on. But um, having only seen French Connection 2, I got to say that I, I didn't like it, um, but it is so nice to hear that The French Connection is a different movie because everything I was missing from this movie, um, you know, uh, really wrestling with what it means to be a police officer, a couple more characters, you know, the fact that uh, Popeye actually had someone to bounce off of in that original movie, um, an interesting setting, action that's shot in a really cool way. All that sounds great. And so um, even though I wasn't into this movie, I got to say I'm, I'm so excited to check out The French Connection and I'll tell you guys all about it on our six-month wrap-up. Yeah, that's what I was going to say uh, earlier. I forget if I mentioned it, but we will have an excuse to talk about The French Connection on the podcast because we do that um, that wrap-up app, which I think will, will be great for us. Um, now that we've reached the end of our French Connection 2 discussion, I think we have to go back, gentlemen, to um, 
our current state of affairs. Uh, as people may have heard, as I have pointed out, and as we have discussed at the beginning of the episode, there has been some technical fuckery afoot from Clancy Brown, the electricity wizard, Dunstan, and their various goons and nefarious deeds. And um, Mitch, we appreciate your attempts at hospitality and protection from these forces, but alas, the malevolent supernatural is sometimes too much to deal with. And Liam, I believe yesterday we came up with a plan B. Do you remember what that plan was? Uh, yeah, we uh, we sure did. Why don't you tell the people? I will. <laughs> uh, so we thought that maybe throwing back to the 70s, getting some class in here, getting Mitch with the Benny Mank uh, might protect us. And uh, maybe we thought a little bit too, um, too optimistically. So we're going to try to see if we can now focus on a contemporary movie and see what that does for us. So next week... Uh... Yeah, there's the plan, huh? Now you get it. Uh, oh, so, yeah. I knew what you were going for. So, yeah, you just said it in a nice way. So next week, we will be talking about The Invisible Man, which is Lee Wannell's update of the 1933 film. So you can keep your ears open for that. Um, but until then, here's a chance for us to sign off. Thank you all once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word. On Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what music you think we should edit into the cut of French Connection 2 to make it funnier. Liam, <laughs> where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And Mitch, I know I asked you to plug stuff last time. I forget what you went with. Did you go with Letterboxd? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, you can you can find me on Instagram at uh, Mitch underscore Kudrowski. You probably already follow. What else? No, I think that's all I'd like to plug. All right. Well, there we go. Excuse my bad memory. And uh, if you want to see more tweets rooted in a bad memory, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Corey Price. And with that, we will bid Mitchell adieu as we move on to potentially more protective pastures next week. Um, they made another one. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I didn't even give you a chance to say thank you. Wow. Well, well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I, I, I only wish the film were better. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> Um, but yeah, one, once again, thank you all for listening and thank you for going on um, a disappointing film journey with us. We will catch you next week for more. Have they made another one? <laughs> <laughs>